with you guys here in North Austin. It's a little cooler up here today uh, than it is in South Austin, but it's great to be here. And Merry Christmas to all of you watching online. If you're overseas, if you're just laying in bed, if you're watching with family and friends, just want you to know we're so glad that you're here with us today. Well, at Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and, and Christmas has with it lots of family traditions and lots of time with family. And let's be honest, family can be an incredible source of joy in our life, but it can also be a great source of pain and annoyance. How many of you have been the victim of some bad Christmas gifts at some point in your life? My parents, great parents, but there was this odd habit they had of of almost sabotaging Christmas. One time when I was uh, probably about seventh or eighth grade, we were living in Dallas-Fort Worth, and we would have some cold fall weather. And so my parents gave me a coat so I could wear it. It was kind of a cool coat. I was really proud of it. It kind of looked like the uh, uh, for members only kind of coats. It was a knockoff brand, but still, I was proud of my coat. And I wore it all fall. And on Christmas morning, I was so excited. I looked at all the presents, and there was this one box in particular that was bigger than all the others. And I saved it for last. I opened it up, and inside was the same coat I'd been wearing for three months. They wanted to make sure I knew that that was a Christmas gift they had given me early. Now, that was bad, but I think what happened to my brother may have been even worse. Same sort of thing. For whatever reason, they picked the biggest box to put in it. The same sweatshirt and sweatpants he'd gotten the year before, but they didn't feel like he'd worn it enough over the previous year. Now, I had great parents, loved my parents, And one of the greatest things they did for me was raise me in the context of faith. Now, they're from a generation that doesn't talk a lot about kind of the spiritual world or their relationship with God, but they took us faithfully to church all the time. And at age 10, I said yes to following Jesus. But I don't know if I fully understand what that meant. Because come middle school and high school, I wandered into all that kind of foolishness that happens in those ages. And I became resistant to even going to church. But my parents did not relent. Just as they wouldn't let me skip school on Monday, they took me to youth group every Wednesday. And you know what? I'm so grateful they did. Because at age 17 is when I actually experienced an encounter with God that changed my life. I began a relationship with Jesus began following him, not just believing in him with my head, but following him with my entire life. Now, you might have tweens or teens, and they might show a bit of resistance. And I want to just encourage you, just push through that. You know, the U.S. Surgeon General just recently, this week, said that we're in the middle of a mental health crisis for teenagers. And I just want to encourage you that we're here to help your teenager become who God created them to be. But I want to tell you that what happened for me in saying yes to following Jesus is an introduction to a whole new, bigger, global family. I never imagined how my life would grow to become what it's been just by saying yes to Jesus. Now, last week, John Burke walked us through how we're never alone because God is with us and we can have a vibrant and real relationship with God. And today we're looking at how when you say yes to following Jesus, you become a child of the king, and the king of kings has a big family. And you're part of that global family. 
You have brothers and sisters that speak different languages, that live in different countries, that don't look anything like you, but you have one important thing in common, a connection with the same Heavenly Father. Now today, as an overview, this is what we're talking about. See, God's family is fully alive, takes off the old, puts on the new, and helps others do the same. I wonder, where are you at right now in your spiritual journey? Maybe you're closer to God than you've ever been. And for that, you should be incredibly grateful. Or, or maybe you found yourself wandering away from your faith. These last two years, it's been really easy to become disconnected. Or, or maybe you're here and, and faith was something in your childhood, but it's, it's not something that's been true as an adult. Or, or maybe in your childhood, you were not raised in the context of faith. Your parents were spiritual, but they were all over the place. Or maybe it was completely absent. I want you to know that today and in this season, you can start or restart a relationship with God. You can find the life that you've always dreamed of having. And the scriptures tell us it's an, an opportunity that all of us have. Romans 10 says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. More specifically, in verses 9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be rescued. You will be brought into a relationship with the creator of the universe. And what's beautiful is this is a family that you and I get to choose. You didn't get to choose the family in which you were born, but you can choose whether or not you'd like to be part of God's family. And some of you are thinking, well, you know what? It's because of God's family I am avoiding God. You see, God's family has a lot of crazy cousins and weird uncles I'm not so sure about. You know, you should know that there are some people who claim to be Christians, but what they're actually describing is something more cultural, more religious, more political. There isn't actually a connection with Jesus, and you can tell by the way they live their life. A couple weeks ago, I loved our Q&A weekend. If you missed it, go back and watch. It was really helpful. And one of my favorite moments was when asked about the evil things done in the history of the world through Christianity, Lisa Jacob from Gateway Pflugerville reminded us, encouraged us not to allow imperfect people to ruin our view of a perfect God. See, in its essence, true faith, true Christianity is about a relationship with God that transforms us and brings transformation through us in the context of his new family. Now, God's family does have issues. We're part of it, that's why. And next week, we'll talk about this messy family and, and how to navigate restoring broken relationships. But today, as we're looking at what this new family is to be connected to the same Father, enjoying a transformed heart. And if you are a follower of Jesus, what we're talking about today is a reminder of who you really are, even if you may have forgotten. And if you're not yet following Jesus, you should know you are invited into this beautiful family. First of all, when you say yes to following Jesus, you are made fully alive in this new family. To help us understand this, I want to look at a letter to the Colossians written by Paul. Now, you should understand Paul had this 
remarkable transformation. You see, he grew up very religious and in fact was a part of a religion that believed it was okay to kill people who were opposed, that believed differently than you. And so he was there arresting and imprisoning and even applauding as Christians, followers of Jesus were killed. But then he had an encounter with Jesus, a vision of Jesus that blinded him. It was so miraculous and so remarkable that as he was healed of that blindness, he committed to follow Jesus and began to tell everybody that Jesus is the Messiah. And the same religious group he was part of was now after him. And so he writes a letter to a church in Colossae. He had not started that church, but the pastor had told him that this church was having some issues. You see, they were slipping back into their old way of life. They weren't living according to the new family values. They were slipping back into their old pagan lifestyle or their old religious lifestyle. And so he writes these words to encourage them. He writes, chapter 3, verse 1, Since you were raised from the dead with Christ, aim at what is in heaven. Your old sinful self has died and your new life is kept with Christ in God. Christ is your life and when he comes again, you will share in his glory. Now, when we read the word heaven in passages like this, we might think of that place we go when we die. But I want you to think in larger terms. When we see the word heaven, it it really describes being in God's presence. See, Jesus prayed that, or instructed us to pray that there would be more of heaven on earth, that his kingdom would become more and more evident, that, that more of God's presence would be felt. And so, We can bring more of heaven to earth, where we live, where we work, everywhere we go. And when you said yes to Jesus, something supernatural happened in the spiritual realm. It's hard for us to fully understand, but see, all of us, when we walk on planet earth, we might be physically alive, but all of us at one point were spiritually dead. There's a whole part of life we were missing until we say yes to Jesus, then we're made alive. Now, baptism is a beautiful symbol of that. See, we we go under the water. We're dying. It's like we're dying to our old life. And when we come out of the water, we're being raised to walk a new life. If you've been baptized, it was a beautiful moment that was demonstrating what actually happened in your heart. And it's such an honor and privilege to, to baptize as we do on our campuses or in some of the nearby lakes or pools nearby. Well, one time I was baptizing a young man in the Pacific Ocean, and he was kind of tall, and I'm vertically challenged. And so I, we had to go kind of deep so that I would be able to get him all the way under the water. And the deeper we went, the stronger the waves seemed to hit. And right before I was about to baptize him, he said to me, I want you to hold me under a little bit longer. What does that exactly mean? You know, am I supposed to count to 10 Mississippi? You know, I was so afraid I'd lose him under the water. But but I held him under, and right when I wanted to bring him up, I pushed him down a little bit further, (laughs) but I brought him out. You see, when you're baptized, you're dying to your old life to walk a new life as part of a new family. You've been transformed to bring that transformation to the world around you. Your relationship with God is not just about you and him. If it was, then when you were baptized, The person baptizing you should have just held you under long enough so you could go straight to heaven. But he didn't do that. He shouldn't do that. You're raised out of that water because there's a purpose that you now have to bring that life you've experienced to those 
around you. And when we're baptized, when we choose to follow Jesus, something miraculous happens in that you are now considered in Christ. Your identity is wrapped up in who you are in him. And something also happens that not only are you in Christ, but it says in the scriptures that Jesus and his spirit is in you. So I want you to think of yourself. If you follow Jesus, you're more like one of those inflatable plastic bubbles. Have you ever seen a Zorb ball? See, in the spiritual realm, you look like this. That's you. You, you are protected. God is within you and God surrounds you. And when you follow Jesus, his spirit comes to live within us. And Jesus says that he holds us and so does the Father. Listen to this in John chapter 10. Jesus said about those who believe, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, so no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Nothing can pull you away from the love of God. All of who God is has you. The Father, Son, and Spirit have got you. And you are fully alive and no longer a victim of the darkness. You can live a new life because you've died to the old life. See, the light that came into the world on that first Christmas now lives in you and me. And that light can overwhelm the darkness in your own heart and in the world through you. See, now that you're a child of the king, you get to live by new family rules. You, no matter how dysfunctional the family in which you were raised was, you now are part of a new family that lives differently. In our new family, there's no bitterness. There's no hatred, no gossip, no greed. There's no evil. And when that starts to slip back into our life, we need to remember, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's my original family. That's not who I am in God's family. If you're in God's family, you are freed from all of that. You don't have to live that way anymore. And here's how. See, in God's family, we take off the old. See, when we were spiritually dead, we were set apart from God because of the evil within. But now we have the power because of the spirit of God within us to live differently, to die to the old life. Paul writes, verse five, so put all evil things out of your life, sexual sinning, doing evil, letting evil thoughts control you, wanting things that are evil and greed. This is really serving a false God which makes God angry. See, God loves you so much that he doesn't like it when you're getting hurt, when you're experiencing the destructiveness of bad choices, either of your own or of others. But see, understanding God in his perfection, his anger is different than our anger. It's not an uncontrollable rage. He doesn't get triggered like you and me. See, we are children of the light, loved by God with a fierceness to protect you and me. And when we give our allegiance to another father, it's like a, worshiping a false god when we allow ourselves to slip back into the darkness. But the light within can overwhelm the darkness. See, our version 
of a father, a heavenly father, is now one that is loving and grace-giving and sacrificial and patient and perfect and holy. Even still, the letter continues, verse seven. In your past evil life, you also did these things, but now also put these things out of your life, anger, bad temper, doing or saying things to hurt others, and using evil words when you talk. Do not lie to each other. You have left your old sinful life and the things you did before. See, every single person who has ever lived or ever will live experiences brokenness and is broken. And by default, the, we do the things that hurt ourselves and hurt others. And when so many, of, so many of us come from dysfunctional families, we can actually learn in this new family a new way to live. New family dynamics where we forgive rather than blame and remain bitter, where we're kind rather than cruel. We learn how to relate better to each other. What are some of the things you've needed to unlearn from your family of origin? Maybe there are some things that your parents did because that's what their parents did because that's what their parents did. See, we have the opportunity in this new family to unlearn some things. We need each other to show us what it means to really walk with Jesus. When I was new in my faith, one of the things I had to unlearn was this idea of serving. Our youth pastor kept talking about mission trips. We call them go teams here at Gateway. But it seemed like such an odd concept to me. You take off time from work to go work. It's like a vacation without any fun whatsoever. But so many of my friends kept going on these trips and coming back and raving about their experience, saying that their life was more impacted than the people they were trying to even serve. And so right out of high school, I, I decided to, to try this new idea. And I went on a trip to Brazil. We spent 10 days in Belém right on the Amazon, the river, not the online retailer. And it was a remarkable experience as we, every day with our Brazilian friends who were also believers, we would go into the favelas. Favelas are where the poorest of the poor lived. Their houses were built of cardboard and aluminum. An entire family would live in a space smaller than my suburban bedroom. I was so impacted as even in the midst of such poverty, these children and adults would have such smiles on their faces. And we'd have a service at night, and then during the day, we'd look to have opportunities to share our faith, even as we heard their stories. But getting to tell them about how much God loves them and was there for them. It was such an amazing experience with partnering with these Brazilian Christ followers people who had such a different life from me, yet we shared a love for Jesus in common. Now, at one point, we were playing this game. I didn't know much Portuguese. They didn't know much English. And so one thing we were trying to do is at least get each other's names down. And apparently, my name does not translate well in Portuguese because they would refer to me, my name is Eric Bryant, but they would call me Irk Brunch. And so someone else tried something different. They said, well, they tried to say it again, and this time it came out, Eric Bryanty which I far preferred to irk brunch. And then at one point, we played this game. It was me and these other young adults. We were all about 19 years old, 20 years old. And they would point at someone and have me guess their name. So they would point at someone and say, qual es su nome? Which means, what is their name? And I would guess, Anna Cristina. And they'd say, si. And they'd point at someone else. Qual es su nome? I'd say, Anna Maria. They'd say, si. Qual es su nome? Pointed at someone else. I'd say, Anna Paula. And they'd say, si. And then they pointed at another woman, and I didn't quite remember her name. But I, I thought I might have had it. They said, Qual es su nome? I said, Della. 
And they said, see, and then pointed at her again. Qual es nome? I was confused and said, Della. And they said, see, si, qual es nome? And I said, Della. And they said, see, si, and pointed at her again. Qual es nome? And this just went round and round. And finally, someone came over that understood both Portuguese and English and said, oh, I know what's happening. Della means her. They're asking, what is her name? And you're saying, her. <laughs> yes, what is her name? Her, yes. What is her name? Her. Went round and round. You see, sometimes we need someone to help translate for us. See, God's family brings interpreters for you to learn how to live a new life, a new way of doing life. You don't have to be trapped in the evil of the family in which you were raised. And certainly there were great things, but there's also these habits that were destructive and can still be destructive. You can learn a new way of living life. See, I had such a great time discovering the beauty of different cultures and people from different backgrounds. It was one of the most meaningful vacations I've ever taken. I wonder, do you realize how big and beautiful God's family is? It's made up of broken people, but they're healed and they're being healed. And there's a, a positive peer pressure within this family to, to become who God's created you to be. Later in this passage, in verse 11, Paul writes, In the new life, there is no difference between Greeks and Jews, those who are circumcised and those who are not circumcised, or people who are foreigners or Scythians. There's no difference between slaves and free people, but Christ is in all believers, and Christ is all that is important. See, God includes in his new family people from different ethnic and religious backgrounds. To be circumcised or not circumcised was based on one's religion. God's new family includes those who are rowdy and had a wild past. You see, the Scythians mentioned here were considered very wild and cruel people, but even they could be forgiven. God includes in his new family people from different socioeconomic backgrounds. See, what begins to happen is you step into this new family, and in that family are people that you would not normally like because of the way you were raised or your own personal prejudices. But the beautiful thing is, God's family is multi-ethnic. There's no divisions, there's no classes, there's no prejudices. It's the most diverse community on the planet. But that last line, but Christ is in all believers. See, we are called to love all believers because Christ is also in them. Christ is in us and his spirit guides us and empowers us. And we're to love all people, even those without faith. Because the scriptures tell us that Everyone is created in the image of God. Jesus gave his life for all, even if not all say yes to Jesus. You know, by saying yes to Jesus at 17 and then saying yes to Jesus at 19 to go to Brazil and then at 22 to move to Seattle and then at 26 to move to Los Angeles has opened so many remarkable doors for me. I've had a chance to share a meal with people who follow Jesus in places like Syria and the West Bank and China, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Malaysia. And even here in the States, so many people have moved here. God's family is beautiful. I wonder, what are some of the things that you need to unlearn? Who are those that you might look down on? What are, what are some of the things that, that you've just taken on as if it's part of your identity, but it's really just 
a bad habit or something that you learned from your parents? What are some of the mindsets that God wants to change? See, God's family can help us with this. You can, you can find people, serve alongside people who are maybe a half step or two ahead of you in the spiritual journey. You can learn from them, serve with them, allow them to invest in you, ask them questions. See, in this new family, you can get rid of the dysfunction, not just by stop doing the things that you shouldn't do that are destructive, but also to put on the new, to put on the new. See, sometimes we focus on what we shouldn't do, and then all of a sudden, I don't want to worry, and now you're worrying about worrying. Instead, the scriptures tell us to take off the old and put on the new. Start focusing on peace. Stop focusing on the destructive and focus on the constructive, the person you were called to be. Verse 10 says this, you've begun to live the new life in which you're being made new and are becoming like the one who made you. This new life brings you the true knowledge of God. Think about that. The true knowledge of God. You can experience the true knowledge of who he is when you surrender, when you trust, when you allow him to not only forgive you, but bring transformation in and through you. He forgives you of the past and makes you new. He keeps making you new, even as you might struggle. But did you hear what the motivation should be for transformation? Look again at this passage, Colossians 3. It says, God has chosen you and made you as holy people. He loves you. See, we were originally set apart from God, but now he makes us holy, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did for us. To be holy means you are set apart for God. Given purpose, chosen by God, loved by God. See, it's out of gratitude for all that God has done for us that we choose to live a new life. We ask him for help to even bring change. Gratitude compels us. So what are these new family dynamics? How is this new family to relate with each other? Verse 12 says this, so you should always clothe yourselves with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. Boy, these are some beautiful adjectives. People who follow Jesus should be some of the most humble, kindest, merciful, most beautiful people on the planet. I wonder, do people use those adjectives to describe you? You know, there's a couple of these I, I, can, I can tell you I've made progress on, but if I'm honest, there are some times that I feel like I might never look like that. I've given into the lie that that's just who I will always be. See, but with God's help and with positive peer pressure from God's family, I can change. You and I can change. But here's what concerns me. There's far too many people who say they follow Jesus whose lives don't actually reflect how Jesus lived. There are far too many people who say they follow Jesus who are completely disconnected from God's family. There's far too many of us who say we've been forgiven by God who walk around with unforgiveness in our hearts towards our spouse, people with whom we work, our parents. See, bitterness and unforgiveness keeps pulling us back into the darkness. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I don't steal anything. I haven't killed anyone. I'm not doing anything immoral. But see, that's not all God's calling us to do. We are set apart for a new life that people might see the light through our lives. 
But here's the thing, and I know some of you might be a little bit tripped up by that word, forgiveness, because it seems so hard to do. Listen to this definition of what psychologists define forgiveness to be. Psychologists say it's a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you. And it gets even worse, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. See, forgiveness does not mean forgetting. It does not mean condoning or excusing offenses. It doesn't mean being okay with unhealthy boundaries. What it means is to let go, to pardon. There's some great quotes that I think can help us understand the power of forgiveness. Because forgiveness takes courage. It's a byproduct of love. As Maya Angelou said, you can't forgive without loving. And I don't mean sentimentality. I don't mean mush. I mean having enough courage to stand up and say, I forgive. I'm finished with it. Or like Breen, uh, Ben Greenhog said, forgiveness is a sign that the person who has wronged you means more to you than the wrong they have dealt. See, some of us have broken relationships because what that person did has more importance in your life than that person. Or maybe my favorite quote is from Dr. King. He said this, Forgiveness does not mean ignoring what has been done or putting a false label on an evil act. It means rather that the evil act no longer remains as a barrier to the relationship. Forgiveness is a catalyst creating the atmosphere necessary for a fresh start and a new beginning. I love that. Forgiveness is a catalyst. See, too often we're, we're trapped by our bitterness and unforgiveness. We think we're holding that person hostage to the hurt that they've put in our life when in reality they've moved on. And we're the ones that stuck. But forgiveness opens new doors that too often many fail to go through. Paul Boo said it this way, forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future. Some of us may be in marriages where there's bitterness and unforgiveness so thick that it's like an emotional wall between you and your spouse. For some of you who are married, Marlene Dietrich once said, once a woman has forgiven her man, she must not reheat his sins for breakfast. That sounds disgusting. I like this one. Robert Quillen said, a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. How are you at forgiving? How are you at saying, I'm sorry? Alexander Pope says, to err is human, to forgive divine. I love that. We are more like God when we forgive. You know, all these quotes and even our message notes are now up every week at the end of the day, Sunday. But you just click on latest message there on our new website. But the greatest quote on forgiveness has to be Jesus when he was on the cross looking out at those who had crucified him, those who had whipped him, those who had tortured him and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. See, forgiveness is possible because we've been forgiven. If you're waiting for that apology before you forgive, you aren't following the example of Jesus. Who do you need to forgive? In essence, you're just surrendering that person over to God, allowing him to deal with them. See, guidance on how this new family relates to each other continues, verse 14. Even more than all this, clothe yourself in love. Love is what holds you all together in perfect unity. Let the peace that Christ gives control your thinking because you were all called together in one body to have peace. Always be thankful. Let the teaching of Christ live in you richly. Wait, what? We, we, 
We have to not only forgive, we actually have to love these people. I mean, have you met people? They can be jerks, morons, idiots. People hurt us. And you know, God understands. He came to rescue us. He was born in a manger, grew up and lived a perfect life, taught with authority, loved the outcast, brought healing to people, and ultimately willingly gave his life, dying on the cross. But his love was greater than death, and he rose from the dead. See, Jesus is alive. And the reason I follow Jesus is because no one else is coming for us. No one else is coming for us. But he has come that we might have life and bring that life to others. See, you need to understand how much God loves you. You need to understand that he has a purpose for you. And when you start walking in that, you will realize you need God's family to help you along the way. Lean into your faith. Lean into your family. If you're watching online, I want to encourage you to jump into one of our online campus groups. And if you live in the Austin area, find a campus near you and join us. It's time to get reconnected. And if you've been distant since the pandemic and it's not for health reasons, just because you have new habits or your business is busy, I want you to know you need us to become who God's created you to be. And you know what? We need your help too. You cannot live out your faith without others in your life. And finally, this new family helps others do the same. Colossians 3.16 says this, Use all wisdom to teach and instruct each other by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Everything you do or say should be done to obey Jesus your Lord. And in all you do, give thanks to God the Father through Jesus. See, the way we live our life is our way that we thank him for all he's done for us. You know, the band is going to come and they're going to lead us in a song. And I just want to acknowledge that I've been burned by people. I've had moments in my life where I'd rather keep my distance. And next week, Carlos will walk us through a message to help us know how to deal with this messy family. But here's the thing about this family. When we're walking in sync with who God's created us to be, this new family is fully alive. We take off the old, we put on the new, and we help others do the same. We experience the light of God, and that light comes shining through us. We bring more of heaven to earth because we experience God's presence even now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you give us the strength, the courage to surrender to you, whether it's our heart and life that we might begin to follow you, whether it's that person who's evil intentions in our life has haunted us. God, if it's our busyness that has distracted, if we need to surrender that so that in the new year we reconnect with you and with God's family, show us whatever that may be. Even as we sing this song out to you, speak to us and guide us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with us as we sing?